We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's been another busy news week, and we like to review the major stories of the week here on the Black Information Network. Today, we are joined by Black Information Network news anchors Esther Dillard and Doug Davis to discuss this week's major stories. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I am your host, Ramses Ja. Hey, Esther and Doug, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm good, man. I had had a good week, man. Spent a few days in D.C. and uh, got to visit the... National Museum of African American History and Culture. Oh, I know you spent and a long time in there. Yeah, yeah. I had the time of my life out there. Went to Norfolk State University, too. Oh, uh, did you drive. do any uh, Ben's Chili? Was that? Ben's Chili Bowl. Did you stop oh, by? Man, you didn't tell me about it. <laughs> but, but you know, we're, we're going to let you uh, redeem yourself today because I definitely want you to tell me about a few of what a few of the topics we're talking about today. But first, uh, we're going to probably tap on Esther because, as you know, after the gunman who killed 10 black people in the Buffalo mass shooting was sentenced to life in state prison last week, the subject of capital punishment for the gunman on federal charges is surfacing. Now, Esther, you've covered the Buffalo shooting for the Black Information Network. Uh, Why don't you give us the latest on this story and then we'll hear from you, uh, Doug. Well, if you did not know, New York does not have capital punishment. So they have life without parole. That's the maximum sentence. And the shooter did receive several life sentences without parole. So they knew he wasn't going to get out of jail, but the death sentence is on the table in in federal court. Um, He did go to federal court the day after that sentencing, but it's still unclear what's going to happen because he could plead guilty And then they have to determine if they're going to give him the death sentence or if he doesn't plead guilty. And then it will be a trial that will be scheduled for July. Um, At this point, the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland hasn't ruled out seeking the death penalty against him. Discussions are ongoing. And that is what is the latest on that one. So we'll have to just wait and see. 
Doug, why don't you uh, give us your thoughts? You know, I read an article recently that said former President Donald Trump recently spoke out saying that if he gets back into office, he'll expand uh, capital punishment, bring back firing squads, uh, televised public executions with hangings. You know, so it appears he wants to take it back to the days of lynching. Not funny, of course, but 41 percent. Let's look at the numbers. Forty one percent of all death row inmates are black. Uh, yeah. Since 1976, Black Americans account for 34 percent of all executions in the country. Um, even back in 1990, the United States uh, General Accounting Office commented about the death row penalty, saying that in 82 percent of the studies reviewed, uh, race of the victim was found to influence the likelihood of being charged with capital murder or receiving oh, yeah. the death penalty. Uh, those who murdered whites were found more likely to be sentenced to death than those who murdered black. So from a federal level, um, you know, uh, what does this mean for, for black Americans? You know, we hear a lot of cases where black men continue to proclaim their innocence up until the very last second they're executed, uh, you know, telling us that, you know, uh, they never received a fair trial and history tells us that this has been very true in many cases between black men and the criminal justice system. Case in point, uh, the state of majority of uh, Missouri just recently executed Leonard Raheem Taylor for allegedly killing his girlfriend and her three children. Now, he said he was in California when the murders happened, had evidence to prove it. Critics of the case say that the state coerced witnesses to change the time of death. And now Taylor is gone. He's not here anymore. Right. You know, so when I look and think about. Uh, you know, uh, the federal uh, government looking at, you know, uh, expanding or, you know, just teetering on, you know, how they can uh, continue to kill uh, people. It it kind of bothers me. Um, one quick quote, uh, Bria Nelson, she's a fellow at the ACLU. And she said an uh, amazing quote, the line between lynching, racial justice racial violence, I should say, uh, and the death penalty is undeniable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, um, I'm a, a big fan of the work of Brian Stevens and um, of the Equal Justice Initiative. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the, the subject of the movie uh, Just Cause starring Michael B. Jordan, for those who've seen that movie. And yeah. um, he actively fights against this sort of thing um, because of the disproportionate outcomes with respect to the criminal justice system. And of course, you know, with that comes, you know, uh, the death penalty. And you're absolutely right. Um, there are far too many cases of indeed black people being executed uh, when they were uh, not necessarily speaking culpable and um, far too many where they've been framed or uh, set up and they, they, they disproportionately skew younger and poorer and so uh, if we wanted, if those of us who are fans of the death penalty wanted uh, a harsher sentence for this Buffalo shooter, um, you know, it's sort of a mixed bag, you know, a person like um, a, a, a Donald Trump, if you will, gets into office and expands capital punishment. Um, you know, we, we get back to that sort of mob mentality. And unfortunately, where we as black people stand in this country, we can uh, support s something like the expansion of capital punishment and in effect load their gun. Uh, and so that's something that I, I pause to reflect on. Um, 
the the outcomes in terms of his impact this this buffalo shooter's impact on uh the life of the average free citizen will be the same whether he's executed or in prison for the rest of his life um and so if we want to take it further because we're succumbing to that mob mentality and we want to see a dead body um we have to know that it comes with a bit a mixed bag because that whole system is stacked against us and That's oftentimes right. people um, we find that people should be exonerated uh sometimes while they're still alive um but uh in other instances after they've gone as you mentioned and so um i i i'd be very careful with that one yeah can i play devil's advocate here Please. just real quick um the the buffalo mayor was asked whether or not this guy should get the death penalty mm-hmm. and his his reasoning was quite interesting um he said that because we don't want copycats and we want to send a message mm-hmm. that in this particular case he believes that it's a good idea to in, invoke the death penalty because of the racial component of the fact that he planned it he put it on live you know live stream yeah. Yeah, this was it. that that this extreme he felt that in order to send a message to anyone else who may think that this is a good idea they might think twice sure right. and i'll just leave it there that's right um i, I, I appreciate that. that because uh you know that it is something that i notice i'm not saying we should or shouldn't do something i'm saying it's worth thinking about but um you know the other side of that is that uh a lot of these people you know i've, I've kind of done a, a deep dive once or twice into the uh life and the um radicalization of uh, many of these mass shooters and uh, many of them have kind of given up on life they they feel like the world has given up on them and they are very much suicidal going into it they realize that they are not going to come out or there's a high likelihood that they won't come out and they've accepted that so um the risks are often accompanied uh with you know the, the the these echo chambers that they find themselves in people telling them you know we we will remember you we will you will be our champion you we will tell your story um get the high score meaning shoot the most people um the, these sorts of things and if they can live in infamy at least in those little pockets of the world to them often they feel like that's a better outcome than living a meaningless nothingless life um in middle america uh, with no prospects for girlfriends or job or employment or fame or fortune or any of the sort of things that the quote unquote American dream suggests to them that they will end up with. And so, um, it, again, it's a mixed bag. I'm, I, there's better people to make decisions like this than me. Um, but I, I know that, you know, that's, a, that's a, it can be a double edged sword. And so again, something worth thinking about before, um, you know, just kind of doubling down on, do we want to see a dead body? So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, last week, news surfaced that Michael Jackson's estate is planning to sell a portion of his mu- music catalog to uh, Sony Music for uh, several million dollars. <laughs> this seems to be a trend for other black artists as well. Doug, this time, let's start with you. Give us some details on this story and the trend regarding black music creators. Absolutely. I was quite mortified when I heard about the story, you know, Michael Jackson's estate selling half of his catalog mm-hmm. for nearly $900 million. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say uh, a good business deal is three to one. So if I'm buying uh, 
something for a billion dollars. I'm expecting to make about three billion in profit off of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, you can look at Dr. Dre, another example, sold his catalog for two hundred million. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem I find with black entrepreneurs uh, is why do we as a people sell our assets mm-hmm. instead of keeping those assets to build mm-hmm. opportunities for generational wealth? Mm-hmm. I was also kind of hurt when I found that the Bruce family, you know, sold their property back to L.A. County. <laughs> you know, after all of what they did to get it, they sold it back to him for the same amount of money. I'm not here to judge, um, but I, I just find it interesting. Um how that happened. I don't know the inner workings of it, but I mean, if I can also add, um, and what brings me to this point, um, is that, you know, have the systems of oppression affected even rich folks bottom line so much that they feel like they need to sell off their assets to survive. I mean, I'm just kind of perplexed. Most major corporate entities, uh, are, are still owned by families. You know, uh, we can't even say now that we own BET anymore. You know, we yeah. lost essence back in the day. We own it again. But uh, if I may also add, you know, when we sell our assets, um, and I'll use music as an example, it's almost like we're selling our soul. And I'll tell you why I feel that way. Have you ever heard a black song on a commercial? And that song didn't quite fit. Like if you heard a Prince song and you said, now I know Prince would never approve of that song being yeah, used with mean. this product. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. right. So our so products same. end up being exploited when we sell off our assets and then who benefits. Right. And I'll leave that up to the public to answer that question. Yes. Sir, let's hear from you. Well, I, I was wondering why too, because I had this conversation with my husband and he was like, well, it's probably because they're burning through a bunch of money and um the family needs to sell off these assets to um i guess pay you know various expenses and things but i thought it was quite interesting when reading on the fact that sony is really trying to purchase the assets in jackson's publishing um and the recorded venues like mj the musical and the new biopic michael that's supposed to be coming out i guess they're trying to get the, their hands on that because of the amount of money that they can make off of it. Like, you know, like Doug was saying. So I didn't understand the reasoning that they would want to sell it because MJ, the musical, I looked it up it, in 2023 as of February, it grossed 91 and a half million bucks. That's a lot of money. Sure. I mean, for the musical. And I'm just surprised that, they would want to sell it, even though it's not been, you know, um, it's not been confirmed, you know, because people are you know, trying to find out if this is actually those details are for real or this is just kind of like the idea, you know, it could be rumor. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so but I just it didn't make sense to me when you're making when that kind of asset makes that much money, why they'd want to sell it off. Sure, sure. You know, there's a. Uh... Uh, my thinking is that um, it, we we really need a sense of, to Doug's point as well, um, uh, financial literacy. Now, that's not to say that the Jackson family does not have that. They've been wealthy long before I was even born. So perhaps that is the case. But um, there has to be a reason that we see so many of these companies offering so much money to so many Black artists. 
And we'll throw Justin Bieber in there because even though he's not a black artist, he does make black music. Um, that is black music, make no mistake. Um, and, uh, you know, we, there's this culture where we're, we're chasing money. Everybody's chasing a bag and we're not really centering each other. We're not centering our culture. We're not centering our posterity. Uh, we're centering ourselves, our, our individual timelines. What will the quality of my life be or perhaps the life of myself and my offspring? but not what impact will I make on the culture of uh, people that I live? What, what is my duty to my ancestors and what is my duty to, uh, as I mentioned, uh, my posterity, our collective posterity. And so um, I think that we really need to reassess what the value of a, a human being is. What is the, I, I want to say the value of a man and, and the value of a woman, but you know, um, it, so that it sounds the way that I, I'm um, uh, trying to convey uh, the value of a man. I want to be very careful of that. But what is the value of a man? Um, is the value of a man what's in his bank account when he dies? Um, or is the value of a man or woman, again, um, the impact that that person has made, how they're remembered? I said this on one of the shows uh, recently. You know, Dr. King, we don't remember Dr. King for being... Um, a wealthy man. We remember Dr. King for making an impact that we all uh, can feel. We don't. Same with Gandhi, Mother Teresa. That list goes on. These people are known for being uh, wealthy. Um, in in fact, a lot of people that we know for being wealthy, we we look back unfavorably on them. You know, they might have their names etched in buildings, but you know, it, it ends up coming to, to the surface. And so, you know, I'm not saying these people shouldn't get their money, but they shouldn't center money in the way that they do. Um, Plus, add to the fact that currency is something that is not necessarily controlled by individuals. It's 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 the control of a currency is often centralized and controlled by a government. So if you're given nine hundred million dollars and in six months time, that's worth half as much as it was because of government decisions and, and external factors. then what really have you gained or, in fact, what have you lost? Um, because those forces can be manipulated. Um, and then one of the things, you know, to what you were saying, Esther, as far as the the why, why are these things being bought up? I suspect that it has something to do with this new frontier that we're all on with artificial intelligence. Um, there are so many things that are, have been unexplored, uh, so many potential ways to make money off of Black creators. And we are selling our access to the future, um, our claim cultural claim to um our you know uh, real our real estate in the in the future uh landscape because we are seeing today and not seeing tomorrow we're not seeing past that frontier and how artificial intelligence will you know develop new ways to monetize these these iconic catalogs we see kind of glimpses of it through tiktok we see glimpses of it through you know viral songs um, I remember I had this thought when um, you you remember the song uh, it's it's um, uh, my boo by Ghost Town DJs that song goes at night I think of you you know that song yep. came, came out in the early nineties and it went to number one in like two thousand and fifteen sixteen maybe seventeen somewhere in there um, and so people are starting to see the potential of these back catalogs and for us to sell them off means that we don't have access to that. We can't control how it's used, as you mentioned, Doug, and uh, 
we sell ourselves short and indeed we sell our people short. So those, those are my two cents. I'm not a fan of that. I, I'm a big fan of ownership um, where you can and where you can. And I'm a fan of, you know, leaving something uh, substantial, something that has cultural significance, something you can be proud of. Um, a lot, many people aren't proud of a number in a bank account. Some are, but most people are proud of a legacy that they inherit. Um, in my travels, this is, you know, just my two cents. So we'll see what happens. But um, I hope that we don't see too much more of this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes. And switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Black Information Network news anchors Esther Dillard and Doug Davis are here with us discussing this week's major stories. All right. CNN anchor Don Lemon recently got into trouble for age and gender bias comments about Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley. What were the comments and topics that caused him to be pulled off of CNN? Esther, this time, let's start with you. I tell you, this was a story that I was like, why did you even go there, Don? (laughs) 
Don was given a timeout for comments he made uh, when Nikki Haley made her announcement for run for president. Mm-hmm. Haley basically said Congress should have term limits and that there should be mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. So she was kind of taking a swipe, of course, at Biden saying, you know, he needs to be he's a little too old for the job. Well, Lemon then said he felt uncomfortable about Haley's comments. He added that her comments were, quote, wrong, the wrong road to go down. And then he added that Haley, quote, is not in her prime. He didn't stop there, though. He had to take it further. He said, sorry, when a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s, maybe her 40s. That's what it's considered. And he said his source was Google. If you do a Google search, that's what it says. So Lemon was pulled off the air for a couple of days. And uh, there's a lot of people that were very upset about that comment because, you know, I just you you just don't talk about people's uh, women and their age. It just as being someone in their prime and not in their prime. Um, the CNN CEO, Chris Licht, he pretty much said that uh, Lemon had uh, agreed to participate in some formal training, and um, he returned to air this week, I believe Wednesday, and he tweeted that he appreciated the opportunity to be back and his colleagues and viewers, um, and to his colleagues and viewers, he wrote, I am hearing you, I am learning from you, I am committed to doing better. So, it was kind of a very... Um, weak response uh, as far as apology it really wasn't i'm sorry but it was pretty much i'm learning so um everything seems to be back to normal um no one really said anything on the air about it he didn't say anything on the air about it and it just seems to be life goes on so that's where it's at right now okay um so douglas get your thoughts on this I was on vacation when it happened, so I was kind of late to the game, uh, to the party per se, but I was pretty shocked when I heard about it. I thought Don uh, could have been a bit more savvy with that comment, but, you sure. know, cancel culture is a real thing. It's it's very strong. One wrong comment and you're out. You know, look what happened to his buddy, Chris Cromo. Uh, so in the overall scheme of things, um, I had a conversation with a person recently. Uh, and uh, we asked the question, can a person not be biased in America? And so... You know, think about the biases that we see on television, the media, which can shape how people perceive others. You know, my daughter, for example, Asha, she's a black feminist to the core. Uh, She taught me about my own biases towards women. And I'm thinking that I'm this super liberal guy who loves everyone and stands up for the rights of all. I love all the women in my family. Um, But she showed me that I had some biases towards women. How did that happen? Um, Good question. But neither here nor there, I was open enough to, you know, to participate in her commentary. And I learned a whole lot. And now I feel like I'm a better person, you know, because it was pointed out to me, you know, about my own biases. And so, you know, I'm technically free from the matrix. And I think everyone in their own way, form or fashion has some sort of bias in this country. Uh, we can't help it in my opinion. And that's, and so, but being able to be open enough to realize it, you know, I mean, um, is, is everything, you know, so we can be better people and be a better nation. Sure. And, you know, that's, that's part of what I love about this 
um, is that we are all having to be more on our um, on our game, our A game, uh, because even something like this, uh, you know, 10 years ago might not have set off uh, the reaction and and, and the um, response that it did. Um, and then when you go back even further, 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, so some many people look at that as progress, me being one of them. Um, you'll notice earlier in the uh, in the episode when I mentioned uh, the measure of a man, um, because it's it's actually a quote uh, or part of a quote um, in something that we all can reference. And I wanted to make sure that I'm not singling men out. And that's why I was trying to I was stumbling over my words, in fact, because it's scary to, for me to work in this space, knowing that, you know, as you mentioned, Doug, that we all have our biases and we're actively, at least me, actively trying to um, overcome what we've been uh, uh, taught, what we've been indoctrinated with. Um, and some of those things manifest themselves in just kind of our language. Now, Dr. King's quote was, uh, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Um, and so making that comparison to, you know, the measure of a man who has money in the bank when he dies was kind of the point there. But um, saying the wrong thing uh, now has consequences. And I think the benefit of that is that we all live in a world that is moving toward uh, a more equitable culture um and moving towards uh you know outcomes that are you know because we work in media and don works in media of course um we shape the thoughts and the opinions of of many people who tune in and listen to us every day and so it's important that that um we do better um you know i i hear what you said esther you know maybe that apology was a little flat but it was an apology it's not for me to you know uh um decide the value of that apology because obviously i wasn't the person who was offended by it but i do recognize that it was an apology and for me to see something like that um for him to at least acknowledge that maybe this sort of language and way of thinking um could have a negative impact on women as a whole and this shouldn't be happening um I, I hope that the the ripple effect of that is that um, we all end up being a little bit better at work uh, especially working in this space. So, um, finally, as we finish out the month of February, it's always important at the Black Information Network to recognize both, both historical Black figures and people who are making Black history right now. So, uh, for both Doug and Esther, who are some folks that deserve uh, recognition for making Black news now? Uh, this time, let's start with you, Doug. Well, of course, Kamala Harris would be the first to come to mind, first woman and first African-American vice president. Mm -hmm. uh, every generation, we have a black leader emerge that fights for our rights. Um, when I was growing up in the 80s, it was Jesse Jackson. You know, he was the biggest figurehead. Now we have Ben Crump. Uh, some are calling him the black attorney general of the U.S., then there's 18-year-old Jalen Smith. Uh, this year became the youngest person to ever be elected as mayor 
Shout out to Earl Arkansas. He put them on the map for sure. But this young African-American man is incredible. Of course, Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman Supreme Court justice. Dr. Corbett, 35 year old lead scientist on the Moderna COVID vaccine team. Uh, Rashida Jones, 39 MSNBC president and first black executive to run a major television network. So, yes, we are making brand new history uh, mm-hmm. every day here in America. And they should be highlighted as well as, you know, our forefathers who, uh, you know, who made things possible for us to do the things we're doing today. Absolutely. Esther, I know you got a couple names. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to shout out again, Kamala, Kamala Harris. Um, not only just because she is the first black vice president of the United States, but that she is unique in terms of being able to appeal to not just black girls, but brown girls that are also Asian, have Asian uh, background as well. So I, I think that she's she's given a lot to little black and brown girls to look up to and say, I can do that. It's possible. It's it. That's I, I guess that's one of the reasons why I have a big thing for Kamala Harris. I know she's gotten a lot of bad um, negative critics, but I think that um, as a woman in politics, she's fab. Um, the other person that stands out, um, Raphael Warnock, um, it was big just a little while ago, you know, when he was running against uh, running for uh, in the runoff for U.S. Senator in Georgia. So he's he stood up for health reform, criminal justice reform, economic justice. Um, I was doing a little research on him and I didn't realize that he had gotten um, he was arrested for protesting in support of raising the minimum wage for fast food workers in 2014. So. And he's been, you know, of course, in the game in a, for a long time. He's served as the pastor for Ebenezer Baptist Church for more than 10 years. But um, just his influence, not just in the Georgia area, but now across the country is is awesome. So I definitely say he is one of those. And um, I'm not a big super sports fan, but LeBron James definitely is someone sure. that one. should be... Um, put up there because um it's not just the fact that he's won four nba championships um been named nba um finals mvp four times two-time olympic gold medalist but he's also a philanthropist that has opened the i promise school in akron ohio which serves low-income and at-risk kids and provides a range of educational and social support services a successful businessman with a portfolio that's like huge and he has his own um kind of a media company as well so i'm just i i, I my you know all hats off to lebron james king <laughs> king james <laughs> yeah yeah so i he he has done a lot for the black community and i don't think that anybody should um give him any shade oh yeah i like that for me um because I knew that there would be a lot of really superstar, you know, folks that we're mentioning right now, I, I kind of was thinking about this a little differently. Um, I wanted to acknowledge the people who I've learned from, you know, day to day. And these are people that uh, they don't have as big a name as LeBron James, but they have their little corner of the internet and they're well-studied, well-educated, and they are making black history, making impacts in their own way. These people are the folks with, you know, TikTok accounts where they flesh out black history and facets of our culture that we're not aware of. Um, these are 
uh, folks that have, you know, Instagram pages where they provide the receipts of, you know, here's where the money went and here's why we don't have it. You know, those folks um, that that provide, uh, you know, the the platform, the stage uh, where I can, you know, observe uh, the things that I need to observe to to do what it is that I do. Um, some other folks that I want to acknowledge are also folks that, you know, maybe they don't have as big a name as as uh, Kamala Harris, but, you know, one day. Uh, those people uh, include, you know, Doug Davis and Esther Dillard and Maggie B. Nolan. And of course, the man himself, Chris Thompson, um, you know, people like Q Ward, uh, the people that are making black history uh, happen, you know, not just the, uh, the the tip of the spear, but indeed the spear itself. And so um I, I think that at least for me, 2020 changed a lot, changed the direction of my career. Um, and I've done my best to be as faithful to this new trajectory as I can be. And it's with the support of these names and many others. Um, and I also see other people taking um, uh, advantage of this renaissance, contributing in meaningful ways to this renaissance and this this new momentum for our culture and our people. Um, I think that that's Black history. And I think that people people in the future will look back on this time and be appreciative of the fact that we uh, got on our game. We started learning more. We started asking why. We started uh, trusting each other and acknowledging each other in different ways. Um, and I'm not going to pretend like we don't have you know, more, more uh, ground to cover and a ways to go, but um, progress is progress. And like I said, having spent um, the the first part of the week in DC at the uh, National Museum for African-American History and Culture, uh, I recognize that progress takes a long time and it's really slow. But um, when you look back on it, as I get to look back on my ancestors who were in slave ships, you know, and how many were lost in the Middle Passage and uh, when the country was founded and who fought in the Revolutionary War and who died and uh, who fought in the Civil War and who died and what it was like to live a hard, short life and die very young. And then, um, you know, through the Black Codes and Jim Crow and then through, you know, uh, the, the the early 1900s when you know there's an industrial revolution you know that is kind of projecting or or pro propelling the the economy in a different direction and then uh some years after the civil rights movement and to see you know Huey and Stokely and and James Baldwin and and to feel like you know we're at a time right now that is its own era um I'm, I'm grateful to the names I mentioned. I'm grateful to our listeners and I feel very hopeful for my people. So with that said, I'd like to thank you all very much. And indeed Esther and Doug for your insight today um, here on the Black Information Network. So this has been a production of the Black Information Network. Uh, today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. If you have some thoughts you'd like to share, use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I'm your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media, and I'll be hosting another episode of Civic Cypher this weekend on a station near you. For stations, showtimes, and podcast info, check civiccypher.com. And join us Monday as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, 
Mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 